Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, April 13th, and today we are talking to Tina Wynn about the unusual Republican Senate primary in Pennsylvania. It's coming down to hedge funder David McCormick and television's Dr. Oz. Will a red hat and a Trump endorsement be enough to win that primary? These two rich Republicans are gunning to out-MAGA each other, even though you would never catch them at a Trump rally before this year. We hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I am joined today by Tina Wynn, who joins us every few days from the pits of the MAGA fever swamps to tell us what's going on in that world. How are you, Tina? I'm good. I'm good. The fever swamps are particularly one percentery today. It feels that way. And it's it's funny. You wrote a piece a few days ago relating to the confirmation hearings for Ketanji Brown-Jackson and Ron DeSantis's so-called don't say gay law, and the Madison Cawthorn story, uh, and the Republican Party's current fixation with sex lies and judicial confirmations, pedophiles, groomers. And then at the same time, you have this person running for the Pennsylvania Senate nomination as a Republican named David McCormick. (laughs) I'm sorry, Dave. He goes by Dave now. He goes by Dave. Gotcha. Which Because he's he's just a regular guy and was not the CEO of one of the world's largest hedge funds, Bridgewater Associates. David is what he goes by at the Aspen Institute. Excuse you. Ah, correct. David is a good Aspen name. So the reason I brought up the piece you wrote is there seems to be like genuine sort of Looney Tunes concern on the part of Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, you know, is sort of steeped in in QAnon lore. In the same party, you have the former CEO of Bridgewater Associates, putting on his red cap and running for the Republican Senate primary. And according to uh, the Real Clear Politics average, in this crowded primary, Dave, not David McCormick, has a slim lead in the polling average against the most famous name in the primary, Dr. Oz. Trump endorsed Dr. Oz this week, and it got MAGA people pretty angry. Is that because MAGA people want David McCormick, Dave McCormick, or do they want somebody else? Like, can you explain 
where exactly in this primary the MAGA energy is. This has been a really weird primary because there is no proper screaming Trump's election was stolen MAGA candidate. That guy was Sean Parnell, and he dropped out in November over allegations that he had abused his wife and children. He is appealing those allegations. He denies them. But once he dropped out, the race sort of turned into these two wealthy New Yorkers who came into Pennsylvania, bought some houses, (laughs) went all across rural Pennsylvania, now passing themselves as MAGA Republicans. The problem with Mehmet Oz is that he has a record of saying things that completely go against any MAGA orthodoxy these days, culture war ones specifically, like abortion is okay in case of certain things like incest, rape, et cetera, or to health of the mother. In the past, he's also said that trans youth should have empathy extended towards them, which are kind of anathema positions in the MAGA world these days. And Mm -hmm. he's couched those in very MAGA-friendly terms right now. I think he says he's pro-life and that men shouldn't compete in women's sports. But in the purity test known as who is the most MAGA, you cannot ever have nodded to that in your past. Never, ever, ever, ever. And the fact that Oz did that is the, like he's made... Sean Parnell, MAGA Internet, the Newsmax crowd just go wild. And that makes Dave McCormick, Mr. Hedge Fund Bush guy, Mm -hmm. suddenly a viable alternative, which you wouldn't imagine in 2020 at all. But like, this is the case. These are the only two candidates that are left in Pennsylvania that have money. And Trump decided to go for the guy who's least MAGA. Just to put some context around this, one reason this is happening is, first of all, when we say MAGA, you know, there aren't really a lot of principles involved in who's the most MAGA other than who uh, is the loudest supporter of Donald Trump. And so you have all of these former Trump officials, advisors, strategists fanning out after the Trump years to make a buck and sign up to be consultants for this campaign or that campaign. And this happened in a House primary uh, around Nashville recently where Donald Trump endorsed Morgan Ortegas, who was a former State Department spokesperson, over a CPAC stalwart conservative filmmaker dude who you know a lot of people thought was way more Trumpy. And one reason Trump did this is he had some advisors working for this person and some advisors working for the other candidate. And he's sort of listens to the last person he talked to and boom, drops this endorsement. And so in the case of the Pennsylvania primary, Hope Hicks, his former aide and spokesperson is working for David McCormick. Stephen Miller was also working for McCormick. But then, you know, Trump endorsed Dr. Oz for whatever reason. There's a couple of um, running theories that I've heard coming out of Mar-a-Lago. These are all fun, gossipy Mar-a-Lago theories, but a couple of them I think actually ring kind of true, which is one... Dr. Oz knows Trump from the Hamptons set. They all kind of swan around the same New York social circles. Hannity is a really, really big supporter of Oz's, as is Melania. One thing, though, is like you look at uh, the press release that Trump gave when he endorsed Oz, it was things like, 
I know Oz from television. I don't know him very well, but he's been in our living rooms for so long. And he also said that I have a clean bill of health and I'm a very healthy president, which I appreciate. And then during a rally, he said he's been on television for so long. That's kind of like a poll, right? Totally. One other thread on this endorsement that's interesting is, you know, just because he endorses somebody doesn't mean they're automatically going to win. Part of this ties into my, my fascination with, with Ron DeSantis, and we talked about this on The Powers That Be a few weeks ago, which is, you know, Trump is still the most powerful figure in the party. Trump could very well be the nominee if he chooses to run again. But politicians, even former presidents, their power fades over time. And a lot of people aren't going to make their decision based on who Trump endorses in this race. They're going to make the decision on is this person perhaps the best representation of Donald Trump that we have currently? Or maybe I'm kind of done with Trumpy stuff, even though I want someone really conservative to be the next nominee here. I don't know. It's just tell me if you disagree with me. I mean, do you think that a Trump endorsement is an automatic W for the person that is getting the nod there? In this case, I'm not quite sure. Like if this were a competition of who is on the correct side, quote unquote, of the culture war, Oz is not necessarily it. And Mm -hmm. I've actually started noticing a backlash within the diehard base against Oz. It's to the point where some of the more prominent right-wing personalities on Twitter are saying, Trump, you made a mistake. We love you so much, but you made a very bad mistake here. And the things I've been hearing on the Oz side, though, do make a bit of sense. One of the things that they're focused on is making the case that in the general election, someone like Oz, who has high name recognition, high favorability among suburban women, will be a better general election candidate than McCormick, especially if McCormick tries to walk that line between I am a respectable Republican and I am, quote, full MAGA, as Breitbart described him. When you have him up in uh, Pennsylvania against John Fetterman, who's probably going to be the Democratic nominee, is the Pennsylvania electorate going to go with a kind of squishy Republican moderate or someone who reminds you of the Bush years who is also a little Trumpy. That's something I think the entire GOP is worried about. And this is sort of a microcosm of that, I think. I'm glad you brought up John Fetterman because I am more interested, whether it's Oz or McCormick, whoever the Republican nominee is, I'm almost more interested in where this general election goes because I know it's going to be a tough midterm year for Democrats, but the Democratic nominee could be John Fetterman, who is this sort of tall, giant, like droopy forehead uh, (laughs) dude who like met Joe Biden wearing, you know, shorts and like tube socks. And he's a sort of Bernie socialist. He just comes out of the more blue collar side of the Democratic Party and has very clearly positioned himself. And I think in an appealing way as like, I'm not a regular politician. Just look at me. I mean, everyone listening to this Google John Fetterman. And so if you get to the general election in Pennsylvania and you are a suburban voter, maybe a suburban swing voter living outside of Philadelphia, and you look on one side, you have the kind of Dr. Oz talks to daytime television viewing women about, you know, uh, wellness. <laughs> and then, Or you have the kind of khaki-wearing Dave McCormick hedge fund dude. Those are your Republican choices. But then you have maybe John Fetterman appealing to kind of downscale white voters, maybe more working-class voters 
in central and western Pennsylvania who might might vote for Donald Trump or the Republican, but look at him and like the way he talks about economic fairness and that he's a worker. It just kind of scrambles, in other words, all of the assumptions we have about where voters are going to go uh, in a general election. It's just like the the kind of people who don't necessarily participate in politics or vote every cycle. I just think Fetterman, you know, on paper, on television, on social media, you're like, oh, I'd vote for that guy. Like, I'd have a beer with that guy, right? Like, that's the sort of the thing that is a very, like, simple gut check in politics, but it is also... I think a kind of effective mm-hmm. uh, brand to have. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just very interested to see where that goes. If he wins a democratic primary too. It's like, who would I have a beer with? Who would I trust to hold my heart in his hands? And who maybe should take my money to manage it? Yeah. Who's going to manage my blended index fund in my <laughs> 401k? Exactly. Like the, those are the three choices. Tina, thank you very much for joining us. Go back out there into the deep red universe and come back next week. I'll miss this. <laughs> God, that sounded creepy. Sorry. <laughs> I'll miss this too. <laughs> hey, Powers That Be listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back, everyone. Now, let's take a quick minute to check in with Ben Landy, our executive editor at POC, to see what's going on in his world right now. Hey, Peter. There are a couple stories on my mind that we're paying close attention to here at POC. First, I just want to say that I am fascinated but not surprised that Trump endorsed Dr. Oz. And it's hilarious, of course, because Trump's logic is so transparent here. This guy's a celebrity. I've seen him on Oprah. You know, he told me that my Diet Coke habit is totally fine. And apparently this has thrown some of Trump's supporters for a loop, but it's not like the guy ever had some kind of principled political philosophy or vetting process behind his decision-making. Also in the Puck newsroom, we've been closely following the first week of Warner Brothers Discovery, now a combined company. It's off to a rough start of trading on the NASDAQ. The new CEO, David Zaslav, has been traveling around the country. He had a board meeting on Monday. He was meeting with employees in New York. Then there's this meet and greet at the CNN Washington Bureau. Later in the week, there's a a town hall in Los Angeles. So 
obviously he's got his work cut out for him in terms of reassuring the rank and file, especially after this big reshuffling that he did of the org chart last week. Zaslav has a real tightrope to walk between this listing tour he's been doing and the hard reality that Warner Brothers Discovery is launching with tens of billions of dollars in debt. And he's promised him $3 billion in immediate cost savings, which of course is just corporate jargon for layoffs. One thing I'm keeping my eye on is whether some of those cuts could actually hit CNN. The previous CNN president, Jeff Zucker, spent years planning a pretty ambitious, robust streaming offering, CNN Plus, which has this more soft focus content like the Allison Roman cooking show, extra hours of Brian Stelter, if that's your thing. There is a Jake Tapper book club. And at six bucks a month, it sort of makes sense. If you love CNN talent, that's all there for you. And it also fits into this broader strategic pivot, now being overseen by Chris Licht after Zucker left, to expand CNN from just a news brand into a lifestyle and entertainment programming entity. But the early numbers on CNN Plus subscriptions sound like they're coming in pretty soft, below expectations, which means that Licht, who officially starts in May, might have to make some hard decisions. Sarah Fisher over at Axios reporting this week that the investments and projections for the streaming service are not looking so good and they may have to be slashed in response. We know that CNN was originally going to spend something like a billion dollars over the next few years to stand this thing up. They've already spent $300 million or so. But you have to imagine that Zaslav is watching those numbers and wondering if he can take some savings there. On the flip side, you need to spend money to make money. And if Warner Discovery leadership decides they want to pull back the investment, their subscriber numbers probably are going to drop too. So it all comes down to how much faith and confidence Zaslav has in this product, in Chris Licht, and in CNN Plus boss Andrew Morse, who may want to start shopping around his resume. And finally, I'm pretty fascinated by what's happening at MSNBC. Rachel Maddow just announced that starting in May, she's only going to be hosting her show on Mondays. That's just once a week while she pivots to other projects at the parent company like documentaries or some kind of NBC podcast. This is even after she got a pretty big pay raise. We pretty much knew this was coming, so good for her, good for her agents at William Morris. Although I am curious how this move is going over with MSNBC employees. Did they get any kind of advance notice that Mana was bailing out? And do we know who's going to be sitting in her anchor chair the other four nights of the week? My partner, Dylan Byers, reported months ago that Nicole Wallace, who is this former Bush flag turned resistance era liberal, was a top contender to take over that chair and that she had Maddow's support. Now the succession race looks a little bit less clear. According to our other colleague, Matt Bellany, the shortlist has expanded to include Alex Wagner, who used to host a daytime program on MSNBC before Phil Griffin, who was the network president at the time, canceled her show while trying to pivot to less opinionated programming. So Wagner's already filled in once recently back in February, and we'll see what happens. That's all for now for me. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow.
This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 